It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Final Drive. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this hump day Wednesday afternoon. And we have a great show lined up for you today. Ryan, of course, when you look at Ryan Dunleavy covering the Jets and the Giants for the New York Post, we have a lot of interest here with C.J. Mosley and, of course, Saquon Barkley getting paid yesterday with the Giants. We'll talk to Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post right around 3.15. The legendary coach Terry Curtis will join us for our Mobile's Finest segment at 3.30 at 4 o'clock. Mike Diabate will give us the New England Patriots update on them opening up their training camp. And, of course, at 5.30, WNSP Now's double team, Nick Wiggins and Steven Root, will be in the building giving you that double team podcast and the greatness that's going on in the NBA. And if you have not done so, make sure you have that free download of the Sound of Mobile app. That's right, folks. It's a free download to the Sound of Mobile app to where now you can correspond with us in the app on a day-to-day basis, whether that's the opening kickoff or the final drive. And, of course, we're approaching high school football, college football, NFL season. We would love to get your opinions about the topics we're talking about on the opening kickoff and the final drive. That's a free downloadable app, Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And Michael Bronner, earlier today, we were blessed with the opportunity to speak to the Midtown Optimist Club as they were getting geared up and ready for the college football season. And it was a pleasure to meet with the folks there at Azalea City Golf Course. Yeah, man, it's the best thing we get to do, getting to uh, go out to events like this. Special thanks to the Midtown Optimist Club for having us and hosting us, giving us an opportunity to talk about what we do and talk about what we love, SEC football. And, uh, yeah, it was just a great time. Well, of course, today we know that there's some great high school football that's a little less than three weeks away. But when you look at the matchup on ESPN, we're not talking about ESPN Plus. We're not talking about ESPNU or ESPN2. We're talking about the mothership, ESPN. Sarah Land versus Lipscomb Academy is scheduled to be played on ESPN August the 25th. 7 o'clock p.m. kickoff, and this is the first out-of-state opponent since 2017 for Jeff Kelly and the Sarah Land Spartans. And, of course, Sarah Land winning the 6A state championship a year ago, the first ever in the school, and having the first ever Mr. Football, Hollywood Ryan Williams, winning Mr. Football. And then you look at Lipscomb, a, a very familiar name as far as Trent Dilfer being their head coach last year, coming off an undefeated season. Of course, Trent Dilfer now with the UAB Blazers as the head coach. And 
I, I think that when you are looking at, for a great high school football matchup, this is where it is going to be. I mean, because you do have some great high school, high-profile profile college prospects that are going to be on both sides of the football field. I mean, for Sarah Land, of course, you look at Texas commit K.J. Lacey, and you had Jamison Curtis, who went ahead and flipped his decision now as far as uncommitted defensive lineman Antonio Coleman. Myron Dunklin, who is coming in from Blunt High School as well, along with Dylan Alfred, the transfer wide receiver out of Mississippi. Some big-time names that ESPN is going to have a chance to showcase. And we love the 251. And what better way to have a border war with the state of Tennessee than to showcase Sarah Land versus Lipscomb? Yeah, man, we talked about this when it was announced that Lipscomb was going to be coming down here. It's like everyone knows about this Sarland program and how good they are. Obviously, winning a 6A state title with uh, you know the nucleus of the offense being led by three sophomores at the time. Now they're rising juniors and and will be juniors this season. Lipscomb Academy, that's uh, you know that's a prestigious program up there. You brought up Trent Dilfer, and obviously Trent Dilfer now the head coach of UAB highly based on his successful tenure at Lipscomb Academy. And so, you know, the fact that it's not Sarah Land traveling up to Nashville to play Lipscomb. Lipscomb is making a six-hour drive down here to take on Sarah Land. And, uh, you know, it's not just it's not just a game that's going to be popular in the South. Everyone wants to see this Sarah Land team. I mean, this, the game is on ESPN, man. You're going to get a chance to to watch a local team on ESPN. It's, it's pretty massive. Well, what I love is the fact that you also have for Lipscomb, you, you have Caleb Beasley, who is currently the top prospect in the entire state of Tennessee to go along with linebacker Edwin Spillman. And I know we'll have John Garcia Jr. on tomorrow to kind of break down those prospects that will be playing in this nationally televised game. But what a great opportunity for Jeff Kelly and the Saraland Spartans to showcase not only their school, but their athletic facilities for everyone in the world. Which truly are second to none, by I, the way. Listen, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, as I've traveled across the state of Alabama, Thompson's facilities are college-like. Hoover's facilities, Spain Park's facilities, college-like and college-like. But when you look at Oxford, the new stadium that's going up in Oxford, their athletic facilities are top-notch and can rival some collegiate programs and here it is Sarah Land having an opportunity to to get and be on the national map the worldwide leader in sports coming to Sarah Land Alabama now also in, in you know sticking on that football same theme I want to get your thoughts on on any time you you look at Tommy Turberville Tommy Turberville is oh always going to be the coach who who gave Alabama the thumb without question. But now when you look at him and Senator Joe Manchin introducing a Senate bill for name, image, and likeness for college athletes, I love the name of the bill they are proposing. It is called PASS, Protecting Athletes, Schools, and Sports Activities. So when, when you look at the name of the bill being passed, I think the controversial part of this is it wants to keep athletes from transferring until they complete three seasons at their original school. 
And I understand anytime politics gets mixed in, and I know Coach Tuberville, you know, he's vested in college football more so than anyone with where his roots are. But what are your thoughts about the pass bill? I, I don't like I don't like the fact that you're trying to keep athletes from transferring until completing three seasons. Well, it's pretty ironic that uh Coach Tuberville Tuberville, Senator Tuberville, whatever whatever you want to call him. Uh, is the one writing this bill. You know, we're talking about the same guy who was going to have to be carried out of Ole Miss in a pine box to leave to leave Oxford and took the job at Auburn less than a week later. We're talking about the same guy who left Texas Tech in the middle of a, a dinner with recruits, I believe it was. You know, he, he, le he left to go to the bathroom and then became the head coach at Cincinnati the next day after leaving, after two years at texas tech to become the head coach at cincinnati mm -hmm. you know I, he certainly is in that old school where you know obviously college football is in a new era where there's more player empowerment than ever and the old school coaches aren't going to like that but you know he's certainly from an era where coaches aren't held to the same standard as players uh in terms of being required to stay at a school if a coach isn't required to stay at a school for three years why why should a player be and you know we've talked about a lot like the transfer portal is a little bit of a mess and you know it needs cleaning up same with nil and they've kind of gone hand in hand at this point we talked about that today but you know i i, I think the idea of having to force a kid to stay at a school for three years because there's any number of reasons why kids are leaving school I mean, obviously, sometimes at this point it's NIL rela related, and NIL is not supposed to be used as a recruiting tool. It is being used as a recruiting tool, which I, I understand legislation is needed, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's the way to go about that one. Well, here's one of the things that I, again, do like about their past bill, the Protecting Athletes, Schools, and Sports Act, is where they want to have guaranteed health insurance against sports-related injuries for up to eight years following an athlete's graduation. So I know that there have been plenty of former athletes who said, man, you know, that turf toe that I got at Auburn or that turf toe that I got at uh, Alabama or that hip, that broken hip or that broken femur, there's no medical coverage for them if that injury can be traced back to them playing football. And I think the fact that you want to guarantee health insurance against sports-related injuries for up to eight years following the athlete's graduation, I, I would guarantee there would not be an athlete that would argue with that because that's one of the biggest common gripes that I do hear about former athletes. They say, man, when yeah. I was playing, you know, it, it's attributed my bad knees or my torn ACL. It's still flaring up. That's That's huge. So I think that's going to be something interesting to talk about as we continue to move on about legislation for name, image, and likeness. When we come back after this break, Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post will keep us updated on the opening of the Giants and Jets NFL training camps. You're listening to The Final Drive right here on WNSP 105.5. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this hump day Wednesday afternoon. And we want to bring NFL reporter for the New York Post Sports, Ryan Dunleavy, in with us to talk about the Giants and the Jets. And we'll start off living that hard knocks life with the Jets. And the Jets not too happy that hard knocks from HBO coming to town, but it's official and Aaron Rodgers getting that nice emerald bling bling given by his teammates. How's everything going, Ryan, in New York's world? I think the Jets won the Super Bowl already, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we are, and because they started a week before everybody else. Uh, their training camp is humming as they head towards uh, the Hall of Fame game. Look, you can't go to Jets practice. You can't be there a single day without somebody mentioning championship, Super Bowl, big expectations. Like, it is a place where they are fully embracing everything that has come with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they are well aware of what's expected of them. They're owning it. They're actually hyping themselves up a little bit. Uh, it's cool. It's, it's kind of cool to see because we're so used to in sports one day at a time and all this nonsense that, uh, you know, sound, that nobody wants to give the good soundbite. The Jets is a soundbite camp, and that's, uh, that's why Hard Knocks forced their way in there, I guess. Ryan, obviously the big story of training camp is Aaron Rodgers, rightfully so. I mean, how do you evaluate his struggles with the Packers last season as it relates to this? I know he had a thumb injury going on. I mean, do you do you take anything away from that? He won the two MVPs the season before, the two seasons before, rather. I mean, it's kind of like Tom Brady in, in 2019 before Tampa almost, but, I mean, he didn't look like the same guy last year. Yeah, I would count. Well, I mean, I, he got hurt against the Giants on the last play of the game, so uh, he hurt his thumb. That obviously is a huge injury for a quarterback to deal with. Um, and then... I also kind of attribute it to the like to the cast around him. Like they didn't have a great cast around him, even when they won the two MVPs. But he had Devontae Adams, and then they got rid of Devontae Adams, and they gave him, with no disrespect to these guys, uh, Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, and guys who might end up becoming good players. But all of a sudden, he was working with not just young players, but young players he hadn't worked with before. Uh, so uh, there was obviously his offense is very demanding. You have to know hand signals at the line. He changes plays all the time. Uh, there's a lot of after the huddle stuff. Like there's a lot on guys, especially young guys. So it was not a surprise to me that when they lost Devontae Adams, even a healthy Aaron Rodgers, as I think would have had a hard time getting that offense going. And then they don't forget, guys, they did win whatever it was, four of their last five, five of their last six, to get to the verge of the playoffs. They, as bad as things went, they were, I don't know, five yards away in that last game from making a playoff spot. So I don't think Aaron Rodgers is washed. I think it's very similar to use your analogy to Tom Brady's last year in New England where the cast around him quite simply wasn't up to par to what he was used to, and they lost their first round of the playoffs. I think it's very similar. Brady got, oh, here's Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin and uh, Mike Evans and all these uh, great defense. Oh, oh, he looks great again. Well, something tells me that throwing a Garrett Wilson and playing with Quinn and Williams in that defense and 
you know, all the other weapons, the Brees Hall in the backfield, some tells me Aaron Rodgers will be just fine. We're talking with Ryan Dunleavy, NFL reporter for the New York Post Sports. And, of course, you mentioned the defense. We here in Mobile, Alabama, we love C.J. Mosley. Most Alabama fans will never forget what he gave to the Crimson Tide. But let's, you know, Quentin Williams, he goes ahead and he gets his deal done. So that's one less distraction that the Jets have to worry about. So now you have Quentin Williams along with C.J. Mosley signed. Let's talk about Mobile's Alabama's Bryce Huff defensive end also kind of that quiet as kept guy coming out of Memphis along with Auburn's Carl Lawson who has been on the defensive side of the football for a while in the NFL you guys produce some good players today in Alabama huh yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, <laughs> um Huff, look, he's he'll, he's fighting to make the team. He, if he doesn't somehow make this team because the Jets have one of the deepest defensive lines in all of the NFL, he'll be one of the first. He'll have six waiver teams trying to pick him up because he's a good, uh, a really good pass rusher. But he's kind of a niche still at that. In this, uh, he's still a, he's kind of a niche player. He hasn't really developed into an every down guy, but he he can rush the passer, and that's an important. Uh, Important trait to have in this league. It's just that the Jets have, you know, I don't know, eight, nine defensive linemen that they can play down in, down out. So uh, they're really, really deep. And one of those guys is Carl Lawson. I say this all the time. I don't know if I said this on your show in the past. His camp that he had two years ago, right before he tore his ACL, was the most dominant uh, individual effort camp I'd seen in now six years covering the NFL. I mean, he was unblockable. He hasn't gotten back to that level since he, I think he tore his Achilles, right? I think it was not ACL. I think he tore his Achilles. Hasn't gotten back to that level, but he's still a very, very good pass rusher. I thought it was interesting. He took a pay cut this year to remain with the Jets. So he obviously wants to be here. I think he can be explosive too. But the Jets defensive line, with all the focus on Aaron Rodgers, the Jets could win games just as easily because their defensive line will have fresh legs in the fourth quarter when most teams won't. Talking to Ryan Dunleavy, he covers the NFL for the New York Post. Ryan, let's talk about Saquon Barkley. I think you were at the forefront of the pay Saquon Barkley camp. I mean, you, we, we've had our debates about the importance of running backs. We don't need to get into it because ultimately Saquon did sign, but I think it was a bit of a concession from Saquon Barkley. Ultimately, he gets $900,000 more in incentives than he would have gotten on the franchise tag. What were your thoughts when uh, when that news broke? I was surprised. I thought he was going to hold out. When he didn't get the multi-year deal done and they were only about $2 million away at the end, uh, the two sides are only about $2 million away on a multi-year deal. So I think they should have met in the middle there. And when they didn't, uh, I was surprised that he didn't stay away till later in training camp and that he didn't hold out for a, a demand of no uh, franchise tag in 2024 that he showed up before. But I think what it ends up showing you is what a lot of Giants fans already thought about Saquon Barkley is that he's team over business, winning matters to him. He loves his teammates. Uh, and he, he just honestly couldn't stomach the idea of creating this uh, distraction for his, for his, the, for his teammates and uh, be, didn't want to miss any football practices. I mean, this is what the guy loves to do. So he really, knowing that you know, all he was going to maybe be able to get was no franchise tag. That was all, you know, a month, maybe missing a month. That's all he was going to be able to get at this point. No multi-year deal. I think he probably just said, let's 
see what I can get. Let's get whatever wins I can, small wins I can get. Turns out to be $900,000 in incentives and showed up for the starter camp. Well, I, I mean, I think kudos to Saquon, but I know you had a chance to talk to the Giants general manager. And uh, again, it is going to be a topic that's going to be revisited right back again this same time next year. Not quite sure what the value is going to be. I think it's going to have a lot to do with the incentives that are hit by Saquon this year. And I know he's going to be hungrier than ever, but what, what kind of feeling did you get out of and from the Giants general manager when you spoke with him today? Uh, he was very praiseworthy towards Saquon. And, you know, it, what's, what, he doesn't get anything from, you know, pounding his chest and saying, we won this negotiation. But anybody realizes that uh, the Giants got almost everything they wanted here, and Saquon got very little. I mean, he changed agents in the middle of the process, and his new agent, you know, got those small victories that he could. But this uh, negotiation was really lost at and before the franchise tag deadline. The, uh, Saquon and his team at the time bet on Daniel Jones needing to get franchise tagged and Saquon hitting the open market and uh, being able to get big money and go back to the Giants and say, you got to you got to match this. And with five minutes to go, the Giants instead got the deal done with Daniel Jones for $40 million a year and tagged Saquon. And from that moment on, they had literally no leverage, and there was almost nothing they could do to make it, make it up. So today, Joe Shane said all the right things. Barkley, great person, great te great teammate. We're thrilled to have him. We're ha happy we got it done. You know, obviously, he's the first person since 2005 in the NFL who was tagged, who can now make more than the tag with those incentives. So they obviously wanted him here as soon as possible. But I think if you gave Joe, Sain, Joe Shane truth theorem, he's thrilled the Giants' best offensive playmaker doesn't miss a single practice and is here on a one-year contract. So if he underperforms or gets injured, the Giants aren't committed to him long term. Well, I'll tell you this, the Giants have committed to their offensive line, and that's where you see them paying the highest paid offensive lineman in the league and Andrew Thomas and that total guaranteed money that he's receiving on top of Daniel Jones. Now, where does that leave as far as you got to protect Daniel Jones? But to me, Daniel Jones is not the type of quarterback that he is or can become if you don't take care of Andrew Thomas up front. And plus, you don't have Saquon Barkley because if he holds out, I think the Giants are looking at a situation to where they're going to fall in the standings for sure. Yeah, I mean that's why it's so important that they're both that Barkley's there. I mean, yeah, I've talked to defensive coaches who said you, you know, one of the reasons Daniel Jones is so good is because he's got the running threat, and one of the reasons his running is such a threat is because you have to you treat Saquon Barkley as the main ball carrier when you're watching an RPO, and if you put a different ball carrier there, then you treat Daniel Jones as the main ball carrier. So uh, the, the the surprise element goes away. So. They go hand-in-hand, hand, and for at least this year, the, all three of those guys will be together. Uh, Jones and Thomas will be together into the future, and whether Saquon is probably depends largely on how he plays and how he, uh, how healthy he stays this season. All right, Ryan, last question for you. Here's the tough one, all right? You have the AFC East, the Jets last year, 7-10. and 10. What is your prediction for their record this year? And, of course, in the NFC East, you have the Giants that were 9-7. and seven. What are we looking at in prediction for training camp upcoming for the Jets and Giants? The AFC East is loaded. I mean, anytime you can 
consensus is that a Bill Belichick team is going to come in last place. That is a loaded, loaded division. Uh, I would say the Jets are probably 11-6 and six would be my guess. I think they're right there battling with the Dolphins for second place. I think the Bills probably take, take a step back to 12-5, and five, still win the division, and the Jets and Dolphins are in that 11-6, and 10-7 range. And then the Giants, I think, could probably take a step back. The schedule's a little harder. Uh, they really, everything went right for them last year. They won so many close games. They got so many career years out of guys. I just think there's a natural point of regression there when a team overachieves as much as they did last year. I think you're probably looking for the Giants, especially you want to talk about another good division. The Eagles are the best team in the NFC on question. Cowboys might be their biggest threat. So those are one, two. Washington's terrible. So you're probably talking about the Giants at like eight and nine. Ryan Dunleavy, thank you so much for your time this afternoon on the final drive. How can everyone keep up with what's going on with the Jets and Giants? Sure. My Twitter handle is at R-Y Dunleavy, like the basketball family, Dunleavy. First two letters of Ryan, Ry Dunleavy. And all of our Jets and Giants coverage can be found on nypost.com, as we like to say, the best sports in town. Appreciate it so much, Ryan. We look forward to talking to you as we get ready to put toe to leather here in just a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me, guys. Ryan Dunleavy, NFL reporter for New York Post Sports, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And coming up, our next segment, Mobile's Finest, will be and featuring Terry Curtis this afternoon, joining us on the final drive. This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSD 105.5. From local rising stars to Hall of Famers, Mobile and Baldwin County have been the starting point for some of the most successful sports figures in history. And now, exclusively on WNSP, we present the ultimate insider experience. Welcome to Mobile's Finest where we bring you unfiltered and in-depth conversations with the extraordinary athletes and coaches who call the Gulf Coast home and how they became Mobile's finest. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, and it's our favorite segment, Mobile's finest segment, and none better to talk to than the GOAT to me in high school football Terry Curtis getting ready to enter if I'm not mistaken his 25th season as head coach at UMS right coach Terry Curtis good afternoon and thanks for joining us here on the final drive hey guys how's it going coach I'm absolutely blessed by the best ready to get ready for you guys to put toe to leather it's that time of year coach to where you know ever since the Super 7 ends in December. You can't wait for spring training and then it's absolutely August to roll around. But, Coach, you, you've been doing this quite a long time, and it's always been called the dog days of summer. But these last couple of years, Coach, I, you know, I know I'm not getting any younger, but, but just as a head football coach, you rock your straw hat all the time. But is it not getting hotter and hotter year after year? I don't know if that's because of age or just uh, it's getting hotter. <laughs> uh, 
you know, uh, you have to watch it a lot more now. I will say that with the the heat, and not just the heat, but when you're practicing on turf and stuff like that, you really have to make sure because some of those guys, you know, you talk to you blue in the face, but uh, they won't drink enough water or do the things that they need to do to, to hydrate. And that's when the, the cramps come and the problems. So we really stay on them and watch them and weigh them in and out every day to make sure they're not losing a, a, a large amount of weight when, and not putting it back on. So there's a lot of uh, precautions taken. And it's a, you know, it's always a point of emphasis with the with the state and uh, and the medical advisory board. Well, coach, I tell you, a point of emphasis for your program has been just to win, and that's exactly what you've been doing for 25 years at UMS Wright. And I, I know that every year presents its own set of challenges, different roster, different personnel. And, you know, you guys are playing in a nine-team region, which is one of the deepest and hardest regions in the entire state of Alabama, 5A region one, top to bottom. I know that that just, that just encourages you to go ahead and, and emphasize to your players, look, don't look over anyone. It's week to week, but it's the little things that have helped you continue to win at UMS Wright. Well, it is, and, and I think winning has had a lot to do with that. They they expect to win. They work to win. They do all the little things right, and, uh, you know, whether it's the off season, whether it's in season, uh, you know, that's just kind of the mentality that they watch the guys before them, and, uh, you know, they don't want to be the ones to, uh, uh, you know, to back off that. But, uh, you know, when you open the season with uh, – uh, St. Paul's, a perennial power, and D.R. Miller, and, and then you play eight straight region games, and none of them are, if you're not ready to play, you know, that any of them, uh, you know, can beat you, and and uh, uh, that, that's tough. And uh, the nine-team region just adds to another one of those games in there. So uh, there's no breaks in that schedule, but uh, uh, I guess that's what got me last year going undefeated in the region was, uh, you know, that, that's going to be hard to do for, for anything. Coach Curtis, you've been at UMS Wright for 21 years, which is almost unbelievable to think about. I was at the game last season when, when you got that wins record and everyone had their their Curtis ties on. And, you know, just talk about how much the UMS Wright family has, has meant to you in your time there. Well, they've, they've meant everything. Just the, the support from the administration. Uh, the kids buy into everything you do. And, uh, you know, like one year, one of them, Michael, may be a linebacker. The next year, he's a running back. One year, he may be a wide receiver. The next year, he may be a, a defensive back. They never complain. They they, they go wherever you want them to play, and, and they, they, they play wherever they think they can best help the team uh, to win. And then you throw in there that they've – They've all been together pretty much since kindergarten. They all like each other. And, uh, you know, people like that, sometimes you may not have as much talent. And don't get me wrong, uh, our guys have got a lot of talent in a lot of ways. But uh, uh, that goes a long way in winning uh, in winning ball games. It's, it's playing together and playing for each other. Coach, when you look at your career, I know prior to the 22, 22 season, you, you considered 
retirement? And I know that that's one of the questions that you get asked every year at Media Day. Look, when is Coach going to retire? When is Coach going to Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? But what is it about? I know what your father meant to you in regards to the values that he instilled in you and what he was able to teach you and what he was able to witness you accomplish. But is it part of being that father figure to those young men and women at UMS right as well that continues to motivate you to continues to make you say, look, I, I love doing what I'm doing. Corey, first of all, I have never talked about retiring. You guys have. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I have never once said this is it. This is going to be it. Uh, I think as I get a year older, uh, you know, I know I'm one year closer. But, uh, you know, and that's what we were talking about a while ago about UMF Wright. It's hard to quit something when everything is so good. The administration, the school, the kids, uh, the parents, everybody is, is involved and everybody is supportive. And, and then you told me my sister coaches who have been with me for a long time or I think I've got four or five former uh, players on my staff, and then the other ones are some of my best friends. Uh, it's hard to quit something when uh, uh, you know when you have everything in place and and you love going to work every day. Coach, I've I've heard you tell the story before, but I I love to ask you when when we get you on, especially for those who might not have been able to hear you talk about you know the moment you knew you wanted to become a coach and, and do this for a living. Well, uh, eighth grade. I was in the eighth grade, and uh, my middle school coach was a guy by the name of Ed Baker. Uh, he was tough. He was hard. He uh, All those kind of things. But yet, you knew he cared about you, and you run through you run through a wall or try to. And I said at that point, you know, I said, whatever, you know, whatever high school, college, Bring forth. I want to be a football coach. And uh, when I got to Auburn, uh, I went in to see. Back then, you had uh, kind of an advisor, and I went in there. And uh, before she could say anything, I said, "What do I have to do to be a football coach?" And uh, she told me and put me in the right uh, courses. And I played baseball for four years, and and also graduated in four years, which is hard to do. But I, you know, all my friends were changing pages two or three times, all those sort of things, and I'm just trucking along because I knew uh, what I wanted to do when I got out of college. Well, Coach, I, I know that every single opportunity I have to watch you walk the sidelines, a lot of people don't know. Hey, Coach, what what do you keep in your pockets? And as far as one of the things that you may have in your pocket, do you go to that Lucky Rock, the same Lucky Rock, or do you find the new one every single year? Every year. And I've got every one of them I've ever had. I've got a friend named uh, uh, Rudy Nordman, and wherever we play our first game of the year, uh, he's got to go on that field and find a rock. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now all these turf fields and all – uh, I'm not sure he's getting it off the field, but he's uh, he brings me a rock before the game, and I keep that rock in my pocket uh, uh, every game, and uh, just always have done that. Uh, 
you know, I'll tell you, sometimes it gets tight in the game, and I'll reach in my pocket kind of rub that rock. I love it. More times than not, good things have happened. We're speaking with Terry Curtis, legend. No, go ahead, Coach. I'm not superstitious. I just don't like to take any chances. Uh, speaking with Terry Curtis, legendary head coach at UMS, right? Coach Curtis, when it comes to replacing a Cole Blaylock, I, and we were so happy to see him sign with South Alabama and, and stay at home, you know, a guy who not only was a fantastic football player, obviously, but a phenomenal leader for your team as well. How do, how do you go about doing that? Well, I'm not sure you replace a Cole Blaylock. Uh, Talent-wise, nor leadership-wise. And that's one of the things that I've talked to the team now about is those guys are gone and somebody else has got to take that up. And Cole was, Cole was liked by everybody. Nobody, no one on that football team didn't like Cole Blaylock. And, uh, you know, they blocked harder for him. Uh, he was a competitor, a great athlete. But yet what he brought to the locker room, the practice field every day, those kind of things are what kids today have trouble doing because they kind of want to do it when it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to say convenient, but when it's not quite as hot outside or are they really feeling good. Cole came to work every day, whether he was sick, had been sick, didn't feel like practicing, hurt, whatever. And, and that's real leadership. And, uh, and the kids knew that. And we've got to have some guys. We've got a few. We've got to have a few more step up like, like Cole did for four years. Coach, you, you know, when you just win, the, the, the distractions or the, the media leading up to last year's game tie-in, uh, all-time win in the state of Alabama and then surpassing it and becoming the state's all-time winningest coach, are you glad that that part of your career is behind you? Because, I mean, eight blue maps – unprecedented here in the state of Alabama, trying to win number nine this season, but not necessarily being a distraction, but just the buzz behind it. Are you glad that that is over with? Well, you know, no doubt. You know, when I started at BC Rain as an assistant coach in uh, 1973, it never entered my mind winning that many football games. Uh, a lot of it had to do with just how long I've been doing it. But uh, what people don't realize is I was I was an assistant coach for 16 years, and that's a pretty long time, uh, you know, to win that many games and, and uh, you know, in 30-something years. Uh, I guess the thing I'm the most proud of is it means I've won uh, over 10 games a year for 34 years. Absolutely. And the consistency of it is, uh, is the important thing that my coaches, myself, and the players, uh, we won the one-time wonder, won one state championship, two, over when we really had some good players. But we have done it over a long period of time. You know, we've been the third round or better, uh, 22 out of my 24 years in the UFF. That's, that's what's special. Well, Coach, you're very special to not only the state of Alabama, but nationally as well as you was recognized during the Iron Bowl last year, which is a very special moment. You mentioned you being an Auburn man yourself. I have about a minute left with you, Coach. Our well, you know, for real quick, that was a big moment, but not because of, of being on that uh, on the Alabama-Auburn game, but because of how it happened. Mm. And it all 
happened because of a former player, Milan Williams, who worked for CBS on the weekend. He's the one that, that made all that happen. And that's what made it special that he was saying was old coach. And, and want to get him on that like that, Coach. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get any better than that moment right there to see your players be successful, not only as husbands but as fathers and to whatever profession they go into. And I know I'm looking forward to to seeing that opening matchup on Old Shell Road between the St. Paul Saints and the UMS Wright Bulldogs when we open up 2023 high school football. Coach, I know you have business to tend to. Want to wish you safe travels and look forward to meeting you next week and talking with you at High School Media Days. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you and Michael and uh, and thank you guys. And you're exactly right. You know, uh, nobody's ever going to remember those wins, but uh, those kids are going to remember each other. I'm going to remember them. And the relationship with those guys is what makes it all work. So thank you guys. Terry Curtis, the legendary Terry Curtis, Hall of Fame Terry Curtis, the GOAT Terry Curtis, whatever adjective you want to put in front of it. Bottom line is the consistency and winning at UMS Wright is what he's been able to do and throughout his high school coaching career, whether as an assistant or as a head coach. want to thank Terry Curtis for joining us on the finest, being part of Mobile's finest here on the final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this hump day, Wednesday. And want to thank the GOAT, Terry Curtis, for joining us. And, you know, it's always interesting when you find out little tidbits about coaches. And I didn't know about that rock thing. <laughs> absolutely. The rock in his pocket. I'm glad and you asked that. Peanuts funny. being in the other pocket. He didn't. He, he was like so a bag of peanuts. He has peanuts, and he'll he'll sit there and eat his peanuts as he's pacing the sideline. But you know, few coaches in 2020s or 2023 or or going back really since the implementation of headsets don't use headsets. Coach Coach Curtis, you know, he's one that doesn't really like to get on the headset at all, and his play sheet when he calls those offensive plays come directly from him and that's part of what to me makes him great but the consistency of greatness at UMS and the consistency of this region there's going to be whoever finishes fifth or sixth in 5A region one of course you have Williamson, Viger, UMS Wright, Gulf Shores, Faith Academy, LaFleur, Alberta, Centronelle and BC Rain. Man, oh, man, oh, man. I tell you, if you were to have, you know, the equivalent of a college football playoffs in regards to saying, hey, look, I want the best teams out of the regions to play one another, fifth and sixth and maybe even seventh place in this region, 5A Region 1, could compete and beat any other region in the entire state of Alabama. 
Yeah, they went out to Gulf Shores in the playoffs, correct? No, go, they did not go out to Gulf, they Shores. Beat Gulf Shores. Charles the Henderson. Uh, that's right. Okay. It is what wound that's up right. happening there. And that, you know, it was one of those tough, tough losses. 19 to 16 was the final score at Charles Henderson a year ago. Now, coming up here on the final drive, top of the hour, Mike Diabate. New England Patriots. Mac Jones has been in the news. We'll, we'll see why. Mac Jones better watch out. And he's not on the nice list as far as from a defensive standpoint to a lot of players in the NFL. We'll find out why by, from Mike Diabate next here. Coming up on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this hump day Wednesday. Hope you've had an outstanding day. And, of course, you can have a free downloaded app, the Sound of Mobile app, to where you can correspond with us here on WNSP. You download that app to any Android or Apple device that you may have and again that's a free download the sound of mobile app to where you can correspond with us or you can give us a call the old-fashioned way 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us so that's old-fashioned way 251-694-1055 or you can go ahead and download that free sound of mobile of course, we talked in hour number one about having the opportunity to be a part of the Midtown Optimist Club as they had questions about SEC football, high school football. And, of course, we covered all those bases earlier today at the Azalea City Golf Course. So I want to thank the Midtown Optimist Club for hosting Michael Bronner and I. Great discussions today. Yeah, man, the Midtown Optimist Club, big thanks to us, big thanks for lunch, letting us come and talk some SEC football, talk about our lives a little bit, what we do at the station, and, uh, you know, it's always a good time when we're able to get out there and do something like that. Well, as we're efforting to get Mike Diabate on the line again, he's the lead Patriots beat reporter for the New England Patriots. Of course, he's part of the SI Now coverage for the Patriots as well. I, you know, I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag in regards to how defensive linemen feel about New England's quarterback, Mac Jones. They feel like he crosses the line with his trash talking. And when you do that, Calais Campbell of the Atlanta Falcons is one who especially called out 
Mac Jones. And, you know, sometimes as a quarterback, especially if you were to kind of give a poll of some of the biggest NFL quarterback trash talkers of all time, one of those would be our own Phillip Rivers here of St. Michael, but in a good way because Coach Rivers, of course, doesn't use profanity. Hmm. So he's not going to use profanity. He's just some of the reels that you hear on Phillip Rivers talking trash to defensive linemen. It, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, I, Mac love him. Jones, I love a mic'd up Phillip Rivers. Man, I tell you, Mike. You're you know, sorry. <laughs> he'll let you know it. Mac Jones, on the other hand, apparently uses a few more expletives than everyone else. And, you know, they say it's just downright disrespectful. Now, I, I tell you, if you are a defensive lineman, especially speaking on Calais Campbell from the Falcons, you know that sometimes it's been said if, if you've seen the Netflix special quarterbacks to where every now and then quarterbacks, okay, you know, you're paid to sack or hit the quarterback. Is there such a thing as a softer lick by a defensive player in the NFL? Well, Patrick Mahomes says there is. But Mac Jones is not going to get that type of treatment if he continues to talk the disrespectful trash that Calais Campbell says he's doing. It's a weird headline to read, wasn't it? Like, uh, Calais Campbell says Mac Jones's trash talk is too disrespectful. What? what? I mean, we're talking about trash talk here. It was a, it was a very weird thing. Like, did, did Mac Jones hurt Calais Campbell's? And again, Mac Jones, you know, say what, say what you want about the guy. I, I understand he hasn't maybe accomplished enough in the NFL yet to, uh, you know, and Clays Campbell's, you know, an all-time great. I So yeah. say what you want there about the hierarchy, whatever, you know, if he's being disrespectful, whatever. But, you know, what, what are we doing here? Did, did Mac Jones hurt Clays Campbell's feelings? I, I don't understand. I didn't understand the headline there. I, I was very, very put off by the whole thing. I, 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 get I understood it. the headline because, again, you do have those that are good trash talkers, and I air quote good in one like Phillip Rivers. He's not going to say anything to demean you, to curse you out. But when you when you breach the line of of, of profanity, then then that's kind of you know that's when you have uh, who cares? Well, obviously it's between, it's between the white lines, man. Obviously, I will say this. When you say you have to take a shot on a quarterback and defensive linemen are openly saying, look, I'll hit a quarterback a little bit softer than I would if he was a non-trash talker, man, hey, that's coming from the person who's trying to end your life or can go ahead and spare you. So as far as that is concerned, I think that when you do have – a quarterback who talks trash, you better have some damn good offensive linemen in front of them too. And Mac Jones really doesn't have that with the Patriots. Now, the question is, can Bill O'Brien save him? And I know that Bill O'Brien, a lot of Alabama fans are, are glad that he's now part of the New England Patriots organization. But to, to be considered a disrespectful trash talker, you, you got to be kind of careful there. And I know you've been efforting to, to get Mike Diabate, and we do have Mike joining us here. Mike, the discussion is about the CBS article about Calais Campbell saying Mac Jones is a disrespectful 
trash talker. You know, and Philip Rivers here in Mobile at St. Michael uh, or Baldwin County is considered a nice trash talker. Is there such a thing in your eyes? I don't necessarily know if it's as, you know, a nice trash talker or a bad trash talker. Look, having the opportunity to have covered Mac now for the last three seasons, I've always found him to be respectful. I've always found him to be appreciative of the job that he has and respectful of his teammates and his opponents. So, yeah, there is, you know, some history of maybe going, drawing back and forth a little bit on the field. I think that's part of being a professional athlete. So I'm certainly not going to challenge uh, Calais Campbell's, uh, you know, assessment if he feels it was trash talk and across the line, then, you know, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but that, that's not the Mac that I know, and I don't think that trash talk goes into a negative level unless it really, really gets personal, and then at that point, you know, I mean, all, all bets are off, but I mean, at this level, I, I don't know if that necessarily got to that level uh, with Calais, but Mike. like I said, I didn't hear a lot of it, so I can't say for absolute certainty what happened. Mike, what could Mac possibly have said to offend Clay Calais Campbell so badly that he felt the need to say, like, was was he out here talking about Calais's family between the white? I, I just, it was such a weird tweet to read today. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, it was a surprise to read that, and you know, especially after you know the time has passed and it hasn't come up until this point, it seems like something that just either was festering for quite a while and he needed to get off his chest, or it could be a situation where you know it was just you know time for you know the, that stuff to come out. I mean, bottom line, trash talk is a part of what happens on the field throughout every major sport, whether it's collegiate level, whether it's professional level, whether it's, you know, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, they don't, it, it just, it all, you know, comes together. So, you know, I, like I said, I don't know what happened or if there was a line that Calais felt that Matt crossed. I can't speak intelligently to that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if it was just, you know, normal stuff that goes on on the football field, then, you know, I guess everybody's threshold is different as to what they feel is warranted and what's not. Well, Mike, let's talk about some actual football. Turning the page from the disaster of last season with Matt Patricia, obviously bringing in Bill O'Brien. I don't really think there's a quarterback competition between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. It seems like Mac got most of the first team reps today, as he should. I mean, I think he should earn every opportunity to be the starting quarterback for this team. If things aren't going well, maybe there's another conversation to be had during the season. But what have you seen thus far in camp, you know, in, in OTAs to are we are we hopeful about the we know the defense is going to be good. Are we hopeful about Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien, the Alabama tandem running things? Well, they look pretty good today. Uh, I mean, Matt got off to a little bit of a shaky start, threw an interception right away to Kyle Duggar. He got the jump on what looked like it was supposed to be a pass intended for Mike Gusecki in the end zone. That's a good sign that they're testing that early. They're trying to get red zone competence up and running in New England, and this team ranked last in red zone efficiency last year. So you know they're going to be eager to spend time in that area and to try to push forward there. Uh, but Max confidence seems to be a little bit greater. He's getting more opportunities to command things at the line of scrimmage, things we didn't see Matt get a chance to do last year. So in terms of a quarterback competition, it really didn't look like much of one today. Matt got most of the first team reps, completed four of seven and 11 on 11 drills, one of three and seven on sevens. The interception, but he did have a few would-be scoring strikes, uh, a couple of nice ones, one really nice uh, pass to Hunter Henry, 
pinpoint throw, tight coverage over Christian Gonzalez, who is one of the more highly touted Patriots defensive backs this year. So you know that Max is going to test those guys early, uh, but uh, they um, he looked sharp today. Bailey struggled a little during 11-on-11s, really rebounded a little bit during 7-on-7s, but it looked clear that Mac is the alpha in the room right now. Bailey's set to be his backup. Well, an interesting part about being a free agent, whether it's undrafted or not, is Malik Cunningham. I'm looking forward to seeing, is this young man going to play wide receiver? Is he going to get a shot at quarterback? Or is he even going to make the roster? He's a dynamic playmaker. I mean, when you're breaking Lamar Jackson's records at Louisville, you're doing something right. And I know he had a, a, a decent week down here in Mobile, Alabama, at the Senior Bowl amongst the elite quarterbacks. Absolutely. He's one of the guys that I'm really looking forward to watching as training camp develops. Uh, you want to talk about dual threat capabilities and his ability not just to be a competent quarterback and a mobile quarterback and the type of player that I know the Patriots are going to be facing a lot this season. You mentioned, you know, Lamar Jackson. I know the Ravens aren't on the Patriots schedule this year, but they're definitely going to see a lot of movable quarterbacks and having someone like that on your roster is good even from a scout team perspective if in fact Malik does end up on the practice squad but I think there's a sneaking suspicion or really I think a capability of him being able to crack the roster because of the dual threat capabilities you just brought up he can align at receiver he's definitely competent in doing that the Patriots have done this in the past we saw it with Julian Edelman he came in as a quarterback from Kent State ended up being one of the better slot receivers of his generation uh, Malik is a different athlete different skill set but the Pats don't have any qualms about moving these guys around if they feel it's in the best interest of the football team. And Bill Belichick loves football players above all else. Malik Cunningham is a football player, and I think he could be a pretty good pro. I'd love to see what he has in the tank, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him in camp. Speaking of Mike Diabate, lead Patriots beat reporter for Pats Country. Mike, let's talk about Jack Jones. Obviously, uh, it was a very negative headline to see him arrested at Logan Airport on a firearms charge uh, back what is it, you know, a month or two ago, whatever it was. He's out there to start camp. Belichick says he's going to be out there. Sounded like he ran with the second team. That I mean, him being there or not being there just completely changes what they're able to do with the secondary. What do you expect to be the ultimate result of this? Well, right now, seeing Jack Jones out there on the field is a positive development from a football standpoint. And I'm not bringing any of the off-field issues that he's dealing with and the legal issues that he's dealing with into that conversation. Just purely from a football standpoint, it's good to have him out there because Jack is a dynamic talent. He proved it last year. When you, as a rookie, step into almost a debut situation and pick up a quarterback as seasoned as Aaron Rodgers and take the ball back for a touchdown, you know you're doing something right this kid does have the ability to draw a beat on the football he's what you like to call a ball hawk and i know he's going to be able to do that um so keeping him on the field is a good thing for the new england patriots but you also saw him aligning with the reserves and that tells you that new england has to start preparing for the fact that he may miss some time whether it's because of legalities or whether it's because of league penalizations they need to keep their options open christian gonzalez is going to be their starter on the perimeter jonathan jones is probably going to get the nod because of his experience and his ability to align there we saw niles bryant take some snaps in the slot but jack's going to be in the mix but ultimately it's really going to come down to what happens he's next doing court uh, in east boston on august 18th 
going to be a lot of eyes out there, uh, you know, in Patriots Nation on how this all shakes out and to see how this is progressing because these are, you know, serious charges. Whether or not Jack is, is guilty or not guilty, I leave that for a court of law to, to sort out. Um, but the charges in and of themselves can carry some pretty serious repercussions. And the Patriots and Jack Jones himself all need to be prepared for every possible outcome. Well, I tell you, a lot of Alabama fans are happy with the outcome of Bill O'Brien no longer being the offensive coordinator for the Crimson Tide. And now that's something that Bill Belichick has passed over to Bill O'Brien being the new OC in New England. Uh, is there a, I know there's pressure on Belichick in regards to that window shrinking on having an opportunity to continue to show his greatness, but Bill O'Brien, how much patience will the Patriots fans have, or will they have to wait just like they're having to wait to see those nice throwback red uniforms that are going to be pulled out by the Patriots? <laughs> well, I think in a lot of ways, Bill O'Brien coming in and coming back to New England is a hand-in-glove fit. I know for whatever reason, it just didn't seem to be a fit in the collegiate game with uh, Alabama, but there are a lot of there are a lot of benefits from Bill O'Brien having coached in Alabama under Nick Saban, getting the chance to learn a little bit of what you guys do down there from Mac Jones himself. Jones was on his way out, on his way to the uh, the pros, and really kind of gave Bill O'Brien a crash course in Alabama offense. And, you know, I think Bill takes what he learned from the pros, especially with the Patriots, with the Texans, and he's bringing all that knowledge here to New England. So I look for that to really help Mac Jones, and I look for that to help Bill Belichick as well. This means the Patriots are going to return to that timing-based scheme that they ran very well under Bill in his first time here, and also under Josh McDaniels. Vertical routes, completions, quick, accurate throws, that's where Mac Jones is at his best. That's where Bill O'Brien is at his best. If all of these entities come together, meaning O'Brien, Mac, and Bill Belichick, that's going to lead to good things on the field for the Patriots. So, yeah, the pressure is on, but I think they have the right people in place to rise to that pressure. Getting into some real Patriots lore here from Mobile, Alabama, Mike, but I'm a Patriots fan, and we have a Patriots guest on, so I have to ask you these questions. The receiver room, Keishon Butte, any chance he makes the roster, and do we get more out of Tyquan Thornton this season? Uh, yes, definitely to Tyquan Thornton. I really see um, a little bit more fire in him, a little bit more confidence, and I think a little bit more comfort. I think he's learning the offense a little bit better. Uh, the type of style that is going to be run here in New England with Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator is really going to make him stand out. So while I don't look for him to take that top spot just yet, I still think he's a couple of years or maybe even just a year away from that. Uh, he's going to get more looks this year, and I think he's going to be a Patriots deep threat in short order rather than long term. With regard to Keishon Butte, I definitely think that the talent level is there. It's really going to be about buy-in. It's going to be about fit within the system, and it's going to be about how much trust Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, uh, or you know Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick as coaches really have in him to be able to get out there and do what he needs to do. If he can show in training camp that he's capable of flashing some of the talent we saw from him at LSU, yeah, I think the Patriots are going to jump at the opportunity to roster this kid. But right now, Demario Douglas, who is a sixth-round pick for the Patriots, getting a little bit more reps for New England than Kayshawn's been getting, that's something to keep an eye on. If that continues deep into training camp, that may be a sign that things aren't working out the way the Patriots had hoped initially. But 
if that kind of fluctuates a little bit and they're kind of seeing what each of these guys have, they've invested six-round picks in both of them. I don't think the Patriots are worried about uh, capital at this point. They just want the best guy for the team. And I think Kayshawn brings a tremendous amount of talent uh, to the, uh, the roster. So I'd love to see him make it, but it's going to really be about whether or not he's going to be able to hold up under this uh, offensive system. Mike, we got about a minute and a half left with you here on the final draft. Drive the last two questions for you that I have are, is the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster comes in, what kind of impact will he have? And ultimately, where do you foresee the New England Patriots finishing in the division? Uh, first, with Juju Smith-Schuster, he is going to be a yards after the catch machine for Mac Jones. That's exactly why he was brought in. That's where he's at his best. That's where he can really make an impact on the offense. So Patriots were very, very deficient in that area last year, did not get a lot of that. Um, Juju brings it, and he brings an enthusiasm, and he brings an excitement level that we haven't seen here in New England in quite a while. He was whooping up the crowd earlier today, really getting into it. I think his energy is going to be infectious, and uh, Patriots fans are going to love him. And I think uh, you know the Patriots uh, absolutely on the field are going to like him a lot. As for where they're going to finish in the division, I think this team is a lot better than people are giving it credit for, but they play in a very tough division. I will say this. I don't think they're ready to take the division crown from Buffalo just yet, but I'd be very surprised to see this team finish in the cellar, especially knowing what type of you know ramifications are looming large if this team doesn't make improvements. I do think that the defense right now separates New England from maybe some of the more flashy offensive moves that their peers have made in the division. Don't sleep on the Patriots, folks. I think they've got a little more in the tank than people think. Mike Diabate, lead Patriots beat reporter for Pat's Country and the Fan Nation. I, you know, I, I just want to thank you for your time. And I know training camp opening up across the NFL, giving us that great insight. And we definitely will touch bases with you throughout the entire season. And how can people follow your great coverage of the New England Patriots? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L or X, I guess it's called. Now, I don't know what the social media spots are calling <laughs> these things now, but you can follow me there. You can always catch all of my written work over at SI.com slash NFL slash New England Patriots. And you can catch me each and every day on the Locked On Patriots podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Mike Diabate joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Do the same. The final drive will be right back right after these messages. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and Coming up at 4.30, we'll have head football coach of the South Alabama Jaguars, Kane Womack, to join us. But in the meantime, we've been waiting to see where the five-star commitment to Marcus Riddick from Chilton County would wind up going. And, of course, he chose the Auburn Tigers over Georgia 
and Alabama mm. really had already committed to Georgia. So they were able to flip DeMarcus Told you Riddick. I had a feeling, man. And Riddick is Auburn's highest rated recruit since 2019. And Big Cat Weekend is coming up for the Auburn Tigers. So Auburn having an opportunity to continue to make a huge splash. But this young man being... A five-star athlete out of Chilton County last year, Riddick, 109 tackles, 19 for loss, seven sacks, and 11 quarterback hurries. And, you know, he's a dual athlete. He hoops for Chilton County as well. But Auburn scoring big time in Hugh Freeze's first year and that's the type of splash that Auburn has not made in a very long time. Demarcus Riddick going to be an Auburn Tiger, folks. So Big Cat weekend coming up. A Big Cat commitment for Auburn. Demarcus Riddick, the real deal. And we'll see him put pen to paper and see if he becomes an Auburn Tiger officially. But that's where his verbal commitment was today. So congratulations to the Auburn Tigers continuing to get better and better under the Hugh Freeze era. Better and better are the Jaguars. Kane Womack, the head football coach of the South Alabama Jaguars, coming up next here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this hump day Wednesday. Hope you've had a phenomenal day. And, of course, coming off a phenomenal season is our next guest here on the final drive, the head football coach of the South Alabama Jaguars, fresh out of the Big Easy and Sun Belt Conference Media Days, head coach Kane Womack joins us this afternoon coach can't thank you enough for your time how's everything going doing great glad to be on with you guys coach thanks so much for being on with this nine days from now the 2023 jaguars will get started with fall football practice of course they call it fall football practice even though it'll be probably 115 degrees heat index but it's the time of year coach you love it regardless because you're one of those ogs who will wear a hoodie and a sweatshirt out there in 115 <laughs> degrees coach yeah we're, we're gonna i'm gonna try to keep that sun off of me as much as i can and if i'm out there i might as well get a little sweat in so I, uh, I I certainly enjoy that part. I think I might have to get my, my voice back from uh, media days yesterday before we get out there that first day of practice. We was uh, I don't I don't think I've ever talked that much in my life. <laughs> Coach, you you know you would you would still sweat in a t shirt in this weather, right? <laughs> yeah, I know you'll sweat in the t shirt, but the problem is it goes dripping everywhere on you. And I just I don't know I'm a I'm a hoodie guy, man. I'm a long sleeve guy and. <laughs> I'm wearing pants and all that stuff. Uh, most people give me a hard time for it, you know, but it's just what I've done for so long. And, uh, you know, I guess we're all creatures of habits at some point. 
Absolutely, Coach. And, and I'll tell you, a creature of habit is the Sunbelt Conference trying to be considered a premier group of five football conference because you have conference realignments that have taken place all across the country. Conference USA only having eight teams to play football. The AAC was considered a power six, but this year, top to bottom, the Sunbelt Conference as good as and deep as it ever has been. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, I think, um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about our conference, and, and I hope it stays this way, is we're really fairly healthy from top to bottom. And what I mean by that is even the teams that finished at the bottom of the rankings this past year um, had either notable wins or games where they were very close to beating the teams that finished at the top of, of our rankings. And so I think that's indicative of, of a really healthy uh, conference from top to bottom. It also makes it really competitive, um, you know, from, from one week to another. But what I'm excited about is I think as we continue to see the realignment in the college football landscape, and us moving to a 12-team playoff in 2024, I think you know uh, the, this conference and the Sun Belt has an opportunity to be represented uh, not only in, in, in a potential New Year's Six bowl game this year, but that 12-team playoff uh, uh, moving forward. Coach, when it comes to motivating your team, and, and this might be a coach speak answer, but I, I do have to ask it. You know, the coaches in in the Sun Belt obviously picked y'all second behind Troy in the West. I mean, do you, is that something you got you use in the locker? Hey, you know, the coaches in the conference, hey, they picked y'all to finish behind Troy again. Like, is that is that something that you know y'all use as bulletin board material? Well, I, not not that specifically. No. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk to the team necessarily about like where, where, you know, hey, where you got picked and all that stuff. Uh, you know, on a on a personal note, it's really nice to not be picked first. Um, and uh, and I, I, you know, I think those things are good. Obviously, our players are going to, you know, they're going to see that. They're going to look at that. Does that help us more than it helps? Troy the other way I don't know you know what I mean but but you know you, you'd love to always have a team with a chip on their shoulder in, in whatever form you know that that takes what I, what I do think is um, you know I don't necessarily shy away from the notoriety um, I think you know that we, we had a good season this past year Tim wins is great um, I think if you ask our players um, they're more focused on the three losses than the 10 wins um, and, and that's what they should be. But the individual accolades specifically, you know, those are the things I don't want to shy away from. I'm, I'm really proud of our guys and the accomplishments they've had and to be recognized preseason by, you know, uh, coaches and media outlets and all those things. I think that's a really special honor. Uh, but, but specifically when you get into like kind of the rankings for a whole team, we don't, we don't really talk about those things. Well, Coach, you mentioned the individual accolades and Coach Saban calls it you know, positive self-gratification. I think it's outstanding when you have two that are on the first team, all Sunbelt, and then you have another seven that are on the second team. That just means the program's steering in the right direction. And the, the, the thing that I love the most of being here from the 251 Mobile, Alabama, you've embraced this culture, being a former assistant coach here, the history of Alabama, of Mobile, Alabama, but the local I-10 quarter that you've been able to use, Mobile, Baldwin County, Pensacola, Florida, 
all being productive athletes on your roster and have continued to recruit well here this past season locally as well? Well, I think I think it's a recipe for success here at South, engaging that I-10 corridor, engaging Mobile and Baldwin County first and foremost. You know, when you look at um, some of the accolades um, that, that our players have received, a number of those guys, right, are, are from uh, the I-10 corridor and from Mobile and uh, when, you know, in the state of Alabama and on top of that, um, you know, representation as, as we get guys into the Senior Bowl and, and that are going into the NFL, like Jalen Tolbert, like Jalen Wayne, um, the, you know, over the, over the last two years here. So those are the things that I think as we continue to bring more local players in, this community will continue to rally around our, our um, you know, our football program. But also, you know, we want to make sure that we're providing more access than any other college program in the country. And, and we live in a football-rich state, and I, I love what some of those uh, other teams are doing even in our state. Uh, but if you live in this community, this is Mobile's football team, and, and hopefully we can provide you a, a, a game day atmosphere that you can enjoy and then sleep in your own bed at night. Uh, and so that's something that, that we want to continue to, to, to push. Speaking of Kane Womack, head coach of the South Alabama Jaguars. Coach, we've talked to you before about expectations. Uh, you, you're coming off a 10-win season, best, win, best season in program history. You're returning 18 of 22 starters, including the quarterback. How are you broaching this season trying to take that next step as a program? Yeah, I think um, I think uh, f first and foremost, right, you you want to make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing, all right? We're, we're still growing as a program. We left some things out in 2022. We left some opportunities out there on the table. And so let's, let's focus on keeping the main thing the main thing. What got us to – to moving in a, in a positive trajectory with South Alabama's, you know, uh, football program, right? How, what got us to 10 wins. All right, that, that stays the same. But in order to get better, um, we've encouraged our players, coaches, everybody, kind of the, the motto we're using is let's crank the dial up. And each person finding uh, what they can do just a little bit better um, in their respective areas to kind of take us to that next next place right and with that comes uh, some reflection on what we didn't do well enough in 2022 so for example right i talk about being more focused on those three losses you know you you, you got to keep the main thing the main thing but also you got to find ways to address what you didn't do well enough in 22 to give yourself a better opportunity going into this season and so we're going to crank the dial up a little bit in our respective areas and also be very aware of, of some of the things that we did not handle well enough a year ago i will say this too coach the continuity amongst your coaching staff i mean you being a former assistant coach and you being in different job yeah. and having different job opportunities Talk about that, the importance of that, and then having someone like a major Applewhite who, who has been in those games, and now that a returning quarterback who, who had a, an outstanding year in Carter Bradley, when you look at your coaches coming back and that, that cohesiveness that you do have, what that means to you as a head coach. Yeah, it, it's um, it's been a huge um, asset for our program to have two coordinators in Major Applewhite 
and and Corey Batune is our defensive coordinator back in, in year three of this program, right? There's continuity, um, all this experience when you have, you know, it, it's really 20 starters, right? Because you've got two guys in Keith Goldman and Quentin Wilfon that were out last year to injury that are now back. And so those players have been running the same systems with the same coaches and, and primarily, you know, a lot of the same position coaches. And so what it allows you to do, right, is for them to start focusing on maybe the, the more uh, nuanced details of, of what makes you great offensively, defensively, special teams, all those things. So it's been huge. Um, it, it did not, you know, retaining uh, players and coaches is, is a huge fight nowadays, right? Uh, and certainly we had our, our fair share of, of, of close calls uh, this offseason with players and coaches alike, but uh, really fortunate to, to have retained um, uh, our football team heading into this season. Well, I, I will say this from a personal note for me. I, I love the great high school football that's played here and the addition of Eric Collier to your staff, the former Theodore head coach, along with Trey Williams, someone who I loved watching at St. Paul's along yeah. with his time at Auburn. Again, you know, hashtag 251, Port City standing up. Coach, you, not only have you done it from an, a player standpoint, now you continue to do it from a coaching standpoint. Well, I, you know, so excited about the additions of, of, of Eric Collier as our director of football development. He's handling a lot of our external relations, not just with high school relations, but uh, boosters and, and uh, people in the community, um, uh, fundraising and, and name, image, and likeness opportunities, right? All those things, right, um, that, you know, Eric knows this community so well, um, and, and he has been a tremendous resource for us. Uh, in, in a number of different areas, and then you know, um, you know these players. I mean, they they remember Trey Williams, right? It wasn't that long ago that he was playing at Auburn and and playing at St. Paul's and was a a very highly touted player. Um, I remember when I was at Ole Miss at the time. My dad was a defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Corey Batune, our defensive coordinator, was the uh, defensive backs coach. I remember us all sitting in there watching Trey's highlight film, trying to trying to get him up there. Uh, to Oxford, Mississippi. I mean, so he's just a very well-known uh, uh, person in this community, but very excited about his career um, as a football coach and what he brings to this community coming back, um, uh, you know, to, to South Alabama and, and coaching our special teams and, and, and a defensive assistant. So, uh, and then one more that is not from here, but, but certainly excited uh, about Jay Hobson, a you know, former head coach at Southern Miss, um, has been a defensive coordinator all over college football and, and power five level as well. Um, for him to be coming in, coaching our corners, um, very excited about what he's been able to bring to the table, both from a development standpoint, and then he's been recruiting Mississippi for 30 years, and that, that, that has been a huge asset to us. Coach, the next game is the most important game. Tulane in New Orleans. You're going back to NOLA. Once again, it's a place that the Jaguars have become very familiar with, the Jaguar fans as well. Tulane, September 2nd on ESPNU. I know that's where your focus is. I know you're going to have a lot of fun preparing. Nine days away, Coach, when you get off the air with me, you'll have a few days to, to catch your breath, to take some throat lodges, and then look forward to coming out there and watching you hoodie pants and all get after it, sweat after it, 
Enthusiasm is contagious, and iron sharpens iron, coach, and your players are going to be a reflection of your energy and your mentality. Love to see you in practice because it's a reflection of game day as well, coach. Well, I really appreciate that. We're excited to get out there on the field. And, uh, you know, you look at opportunities like we have against Tulane. Um, that is, you know, that's when, when, when we started football here at South Alabama, right, these are the moments that we were, we were hoping for, right? This is one of the best group of five matchups in all of college football this season, and it happens to be in week one. I think that makes it all the more exciting, um, and it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for our fan base and, and players in our university um, to, to show what we've built in this program and to continue to highlight the great things that are coming out of Mobile and the University of South Alabama. Kane Womack, head football coach of the South Alabama Jaguars. Can't thank you enough for your time and the, your leadership and just being a man of your word. When you were introduced as South Alabama's head coach, you said, I'm digging deep here in the Mobile, Baldwin County area, have continued to do that. And again, your, your leadership is evident as being historical in the number of wins and I wish you the best moving forward. Looking forward to seeing you September 2nd in New Orleans and watch you practice first to get ready for that battle in New Orleans, Coach. Really appreciate it. Well, Jay's up and Elio. Kane Womack doesn't get any better than that, just as personable as they come, down to earth as they come in South Alabama. You mentioned it, Bronner, coming off a historic season for this young program can only continue to grow didn't end the way they wanted it to so they'll have a chance to start it the way they want to the final drive will be right back this is richie riley the head men's basketball coach of south alabama there's nothing better than listening to wnsp sports radio 105.5 fm Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Want to thank head football coach of the South Alabama Jaguars, Kane Womack, for dropping in here to the final drive and taking time to speak with us. Of course, you know, you always are looking for sports on television. And, of course, the women's national team tonight take on the Netherlands. 8 o'clock p.m. It's a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final. And, Bronner, you know, like I said, anything that has red, white, and blue in regards to it, I'll turn and watch it. And I would love to see the women's soccer program go ahead and, and move to 2-0. and o, But big step, big game tonight against the Netherlands. Sure. What was it? Uh, Vietnam they beat in their first yes. game, I think? Yeah. So, I mean, trying to go 2-0 and o and make that history. And, you know, Auburn making history today by yeah. getting the five-star commit Demarcus Riddick. And I know here at the top of the hour, we'll talk a lot more about the impact that Hugh Freeze has had on the Auburn family and recruiting base. Uh, I'll tell you what, it ain't going to be the last big piece of Auburn recruiting news this no, week. I, I mean, Big Cat Weekend is Auburn's biggest push for football recruits. Now, again, flipping a recruit from Georgia over to Auburn is tremendous. It's historic. 
for this Auburn program because it's something that just doesn't happen that often. And again, we will we will talk a lot more about it. But also before we went off the air on yesterday, it was breaking news: Justin Herbert getting oh. paid two hundred and sixty-two million dollars for a five-year deal. Jalen Hurts he signed. $255 million. Ten days later, after becoming the highest-paid player ever in the history of the NFL, well, Lamar Jackson, he negotiated his own deal. And right before the NFL draft, signed a $260 million deal. But you say Joe Burrow is up next yeah, to get that big payday. He's probably going to beat a ball. It could, we could be looking at 270 for Burrow. I mean, who knows? I, I will say this. You know, every... Every single contract, it should get bigger and bigger and bigger, especially at that position. I, I don't think you're going to see less for these elite quarterbacks, especially some of those who have not won a world championship. And Patrick Mahomes, you know, when you have $200 million worth of endorsement money, you don't have to worry about signing a $255 million contract. I mean, because you 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 just you just don't have that problem to worry about now in, in the five o'clock hour we'll go ahead and we'll talk about who is the highest paid position players across the nfl offensively defensively and special teams and if we agree with it or disagree with it in regards to what they're getting paid and when they're up for contract negotiations again also five thirty. WNSP now double team Nick Wiggins and Steven Root will be in the building to talk about that historic contract Jalen Brown landed on yesterday it wasn't too shabby himself and I know they'll have plenty to say about that as well our number three coming up of the final drive on WNSP 105.5 Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. It's that five o'clock hour, folks. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this evening. And we want to make sure that you go ahead and download the free Sound of Mobile app. That's a free download to any Android or Apple or iPhone that you may have. Again, 
a free downloadable app, the Sound of Mobile app, and then, of course, you click on WNSP, and you're able to correspond with us in the app. And that's in the opening kickoff. That's the final drive as we approach high school football, college football, NFL season, getting ready to get into full swing, and we love to hear from you and debate with you as well. You can do that by downloading the free Sound of Mobile app. And earlier today, Michael Bronner, we had an opportunity to speak at the Midtown Optimist Club and want to thank the members there for inviting us out to talk a little high school football and college football as well. And really, we go from SEC Media Days to Midtown Optimist Club media days yeah certainly had a lot of fresh sec information off the top of our heads big thanks to the midtown optimist club for having us you know love speaking engagements like that the biggest news of the day comes from auburn and that being the auburn tigers being able to flip a commitment from the georgia bulldogs and that being Five-star player Demarcus Riddick from Chilton County High School. And, you know, when you look at being able to flip a recruit away from, especially a five-star recruit, away from one of your biggest rivalries, especially one that has won the national championship in back-to-back years, it's a young man that he felt that Auburn's coaching staff came in, showed him a lot of love and enthusiasm. Big Cat weekend coming on the plains at Auburn. So Auburn probably or definitely not done with the big splashes that are going to be coming from the plains. And you know that's just, to me, the tip of the iceberg that's going to begin the Hugh Freeze era. Yeah, I say the tip of the iceberg <laughs> being Hugh Freeze. Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously big news for Auburn fans today. I, obviously the headline is flips from Georgia. It became pretty apparent like a couple weeks ago that Riddick was going to flip. Uh, so the fact that he was a Georgia commit didn't really mean much at the end of the day. This really was a battle between Alabama and Auburn for Demarcus Riddick. And uh, Auburn seemed to have picked up a lot of momentum really in the last week or so for Riddick. It looked like it was Alabama, it was Alabama, it was Alabama. And then all of a sudden, you know, Hugh Freeze comes in, comes in the last week or so with, with a strong recruiting pitch and is able to land Riddick. I believe this is the first five-star that Hugh Freeze has landed at Auburn. So certainly... Uh, I don't know if you've scrolled. First five star since 2019 yeah. for Auburn. I don't know if regardless of Hugh Freeze being there yeah. or not. Well, well, you we know Harson didn't land any, so uh, so if you've trolled Twitter at all, whoo, the Auburn the Auburn fans are excited and like I alluded to in the last segment, I don't think it's going to be the last five star Auburn lands in the next couple of days. No, it, it's really not, but it, it is the program going in the right direction, and I say. Football is always better in this state when you can have Alabama and Auburn and especially when you have recruits that have committed to one or the other in Alabama or Auburn and changed their mind. That that makes the drama even better. And you've seen players change their mind from Alabama to Auburn or from Auburn to Alabama and not be productive players. But when those players, just because you're a four or five star recruit coming out of high school, does not mean or equate the same in your collegiate career. And that's what has made Nick Saban so great at Alabama is being able to develop mm. the four 
and five-star athletes and to keep them at the elite level because there's no drop-off in Kool-Aid McKinstry. He becomes a five-star coming out of high school, and now he'll probably wind up being a top-five NFL player. Oh, you're on, that way, that you're on that wave now. I it, made that bold take probably a month ago that he's going to be a top-five. I player. don't know how bold that is, brother. I seen the brother play at Shades Valley coming out of high school, Ooh. and I saw all I needed to see. And as soon as he stepped foot on the capstone, he just continued to equate. And the only difference was he was doing it with people that are two and three years older than him because he could make anybody look silly in high school. And that's the same thing that you see out of Demarcus Riddick. I mean, you see a, a, a man among boys playing the high school game. But when you look as far as going over to Foley, there is an Alabama commit that the mm -hmm. country is keeping an eye on. And we'll talk to John Garcia Jr. tomorrow on the final drive and, and get his thoughts about not only Demarcus Riddick, but the Big Cat weekend that's coming up and the effects of Hugh Freeze. And it's not just we know Nick Saban can go to the West Coast and recruit in California. Hugh Freeze is making his his is felt right here in the state. And that's one of the great things that say what you want to about Tommy Tuberville. But during his era of football, did a tremendous job of making sure that he had the city of Mobile, the city of well, the, the, the county of Baldwin County sewed up to where the great players didn't want to go anywhere but Auburn. And Alabama was not getting them. And, and, and it wasn't until Nick Saban came in to this state and made a difference. And you saw the pendulum swing over back to Alabama's favor. But as far as Auburn getting their fair share, Michael Browner, there are plenty of four and five star recruits throughout the country. And it just so happens that some of those are coming from our great state. Mm. Some of those are a coming from them. right here in Florida or Georgia or Mississippi. They're ones that we or Tennessee. They're ones that we get a chance to cover on the regular. Some of them are coming from Foley, Alabama. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to make any declarative statements here, but certainly keep an eye on Perry Thompson, obviously committed to Alabama right now. Five star wide receiver out of Foley, Alabama, one of the best players in the country. He's been on Auburn flip watch for a long time. Hugh Freeze has been recruiting him heavily. He's going to be a big cat weekend, I, you know, from an Alabama perspective. Don't really feel great about that one. I, I, I would put him heavily, heavily, heavily on flip watch. We'll see what happens. But we've said it time and time again. What you do is the best recruiter for you now is going to be DeMarcus Riddick. Mm. And whether he's going after K.J. Bolden or any Perry Thompson, doesn't matter. Any other recruits that set foot on the planes, you're finding a way to get your partners to come sign with you. It's a little bit harder for Nick now, isn't it? He's uh, he, He's been used to two years of Brian Harson. He didn't have to worry about Auburn stealing any recruits from him the last two years. I mean, it, it is it is literally laughable. The, the amount of love that was not shown by Coach Harson to, to these players. And, I mean, I know DeMarcus Riddick mentioned it. You know, you come by and visit my school once, and that's pretty much all the correspondence I'll have with you. But you can see in on any recruiting Instagram, Twitter story, all the love that has been shown to these recruits when they come. And I know when Perry made his visit 
to Auburn that his official visit to Auburn, the amount of social media love that you saw the Auburn head coaches show, it, it, I mean, that's what you have to see, and that's what you have not seen the last three years coming from Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, not even just the last three. I mean, Blackerby said it on Monday, said like it feels like what's happening at Auburn right now has never been seen in the entire program's history, or at least in his time covering it. It, it really is unbelievable what Hugh Freeze is being able to do right now. You know, a guy who is obsessed with recruiting, and you're going you're gonna to ultimately – you can't hold Hugh Freeze right now, at least not yet, to the same standard of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. It's just not realistic. But, you know, five years down the line, who knows if we're ha maybe we're having a different conversation. I mean, this is two guys already, what, six months into the tenure that uh, that he's stealing directly from under Nick Saban's nose. They flipped a guy, another guy no, from, uh, the, from Georgia as Georgia's well. Georgia's nose. Not Nick Saban's, Georgia's well. nose. That's the bigger nose right now in college football. It's Georgia. Alabama's been the talk of the town the last 17 years. So, you know, Georgia's just now over the last two years becoming relevant. And to flip a five-star from Georgia, that's the kicker. The back-to-back -back national champion Georgia Bulldogs. I'll put respect on their name because it's been deserved and earned by them. And to be able to flip a Georgia signee or a verbal commitment away from the Bulldogs that's what it's all about for the Auburn Tigers fan base and that's why they've sold out of tickets earlier than ever before and there's excitement generated around this program and you bring in 40 new players from the portal that's fine and dandy whether you win six games seven games or nine games I think that you have definitely raised the expectation back to where all of the Auburn faithful expected to be. Yeah, I think this is the second recruit that Auburn has flipped from Georgia in uh, in, the, in this cycle as well, second linebacker recruit. Uh, I apologize. I can't remember the other one's name off the top of my head. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's very real what Hugh Freeze is building, no doubt about it. I, I'm excited about the Hugh Freeze era in Auburn. And I know that retaining Cadillac Williams was huge, but when you have people saying, look, you know, everybody can't go to Alabama. Those who do go to Alabama, you, 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 if you want to work hard, you're going to find yourself in that first or second round without question. And same thing can be said for the Auburn Tigers program. And I know tomorrow we'll have our Tide and Tiger report, and we'll talk to Drew DeArmond and Ike Jones both about the progressions of the program and how much better this state is when it's an in-state recruit that decides to go ahead and stay in-state. And, you know, your flagship programs being Alabama and Auburn, that's what you want to see uh, from an Auburn Tigers standpoint for them to go ahead and get people like Demarcus Riddick on board. Now, who is on board also is Tommy Tuberville and Senator Joe Manchin talking a little bit about NIL for college athletes. And they're trying to literally have a bill that is passed, that is called passed, Protecting Athletes Schools Sports Act, to where they definitely want to keep athletes from transferring until completing three seasons uh, at their original school. But also the fact that they want to go in and provide insurance to those athletes after eight years of service 
after they get out of school. So if you have a, a, a an existing injury that you sustained while attending Alabama or Auburn, you'll continue to be able to get medical treatment for eight years outside of that. And I think that's very important, critical, and key. Now, will it be passed? I, I, I'm not quite sure. But you definitely have politics that are being blended in as evident as Kane Womack making the trip to Washington, D.C., Sunbelt Conference coaches, SEC coaches, coaches across the country lobbying to politicians that the NIL needs to be found and regulated. Of course, 530 WNSP now. Double team coming up. Nick Wiggins and Steven Root. And, and we'll go ahead and we'll comment a little bit about an incident that happened on a jet ski by one of the Buffalo Bills players. And why now the Buffalo Bills are trying to hold him accountable for that. We'll talk a little bit about that before we finish up the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Michael, I have one question for you. What day is it? What day is it, Mike? Listen, guess what today is? <laughs> what day is it? Two things for you, Michael. I know you love National Bagel Fest Day mm. and National Coffee Milkshake Day. Coffee Milkshake Day. Have you ever had a coffee milkshake? I don't think so. Is that like a milkshake made with coffee ice cream? Absolutely. Or, or That's exactly product? what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'd like that. I, I like coffee ice cream. I mean, I'd probably prefer a chocolate milkshake, but... I drink it. I would. I would try a coffee milkshake. I like coffee ice cream. For many people, it's National Dog Photography Day. So look, people love taking pictures of and with their their family pets. National Dog Photography Day. And I, I tell you, you know, we're in the dog days of summer with this heat. But players that are returning to NFL training camps, one player that did not make it, Naheem Hines, gets hit on a jet ski, and now the Bills don't want to pay the man. Yeah, really weird, unfortunate situation going on between the Buffalo Bills and Naeem Hines. And, and you know, it, it, so it's classified as a non-football injury, of course, obviously, you know, which makes sense. It was it was on a jet ski. But uh, so he, here's the headline. The Bills and Naeem Hines are in a dispute over the quote-unquote financial consequences of his, his season-ending knee injury that occurred in a freak jet skiing accident per pro football talk. Since he suffered a quote-unquote non-football injury, he will likely lose his entire 2023 salary of $2.56 million and could possibly owe the Bills money back. That's ridiculous. That's Buffalo, you've got to do better, man. Come you got to take care man. of your guys. He's sitting on a jet ski. Wasn't being careless himself. He got hit and struck. Pay the man. Uh, I mean, this is the same organization that took care of DeMar Hamlin. So I know there's caring and compassion within that organization. But, man, pay the man. And it's not like he's slated to make $20 million. Again, you know, two point. I don't have $2.5 million, but this is an NFL. For As far as NFL salaries go, you know, it's 
it's pretty minuscule. Just give the give the man his damn salary. Pay it's him. not that big a deal. Uh, I mean, for for them to contest it and and get upset about it, I, like you can on, almost understand if it was like you know, say he got that he was doing it. He was the one being reckless. If he was being reckless on a jet ski, if he was skiing and t- broke his knee or playing basketball, he's doing, sitting doing on something, the yeah, jet ski, doing something that's like explicitly in his contract that he's not supposed to be doing. But he, you know, it wasn't his fault. He was sitting stationary on a jet ski and got plowed into. And you're telling me that's gonna lose him his like, not only his entire season but his entire contract as well? Yeah, Come that's on, ridiculous. Man. That's ridiculous. Want to thank Ryan Dunleavy from the New York Post for joining us. The legendary Terry Curtis, Mike Diabate covering the Patriots, and head football coach of South Alabama, Kane Womack. Tomorrow, we'll have Alvin Briggs, the AHSAA executive director, along with Lindsey Crosby, John Garcia Jr., breaking down recruiting, along with Drew DeArmond and Ike Jones, scheduled for tomorrow. Thanks, everybody, for checking in with us. Up next, WNSP Now Double Team. You have Steven Root and Nick Wiggins taking over. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP.